Hawks Hawks live every Thursday from 7 to 9 live at Snoqualmie Casino. Now, here's your host, Dave Wyman. Hey, welcome to Hawks Live. You're listening uh, from, we're at the Snoqualmie Casino. We're here every Thursday at 7 o'clock right here on 710 ESPN during the football season and Paul Moyer alongside me, but we'll get to uh, the rest of it. We're going to have Ugo Amadi on the show yeah, later can't on. Wait. Paul and I will uh, break down last week's game, preview the next one. And speaking of previewing the Cleveland Browns, right now we're joined by Daryl Ryder from 92.3 The Fan. Daryl, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Daryl, let's start with the bad stuff. You know, and I'm looking at uh, Cleveland and I'm going, okay, they went on the road. They, they beat the Jets like they should beat the Jets. They beat the Ravens, which was a good win, and, and that was kind of an ugly one on Monday night. Uh, what, what's the attitude been about this uh, team back in Cleveland? Well, there seems to be a little sense of urgency. They, they realize with uh, the meat of their schedule right now, of course, Seattle coming in in town Sunday. They get the bye week, and then they have to travel to New England. Uh, to take on the Patriots, uh, they realize at two and three, they cannot afford to, you know, allow those, uh, those ga- these upcoming games to slip away and uh, potentially their season to slip away as a result of it. So I uh, kind of sense a little extra focus and determination after, quite frankly, they basically took that Monday nighter off out in San Francisco. Uh, they, this team does not have a 28-point talent deficiency against anyone in the NFL like we saw Monday night. You know, just watching them, because obviously they they got talent. I mean, you got the coach, you know, back where there's a lot of confidence. You know, Baker, super confident. What's the biggest difference from how they finished the last eight games last year to where they started this year? I I think it starts with Baker. Uh, Yes, he's confident, but he's not playing confident. He's not seeing the field as, as well. When he gets outside the pocket, he's not making those plays that we saw him make over the second half of last season. And the numbers bear it out. You know, uh, He had a completion percentage in the second half of last season close to 70%. This year, he's around 56. Inside the red zone, uh, he's at 25%. Inside the 10, he's uh, less than 22% completion percentage. So to me, it starts with Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, they, they brought in Odell Beckham Jr. I, you know, Jarvis Landry was brought in last year. And to me, those are two Cadillacs that you have to get the football to. And both of those players spoke about today uh, in rather diplomatic fashion. But they basically said, you need to get us the football. Let us do what we do, and that's make plays. And, and I, I think that uh, they've tried to kind of force some things a little bit. Uh, Baker's taken too long to throw the football. And it's just a, you know, a bunch of issues that are compounding themselves. And I think they just need to get back to basics and, you know, get some quick hitters, get a little rhythm, some tempo to that offense and uh, let your playmakers make plays. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you said that because, you know, there's talk out there like, oh, the Seahawks should just beat them. I'm like, nah, look, this is a really good football team. They got a ton of talent. And, and so I'm just curious, do they go back? Because a lot of it was scheme last week. They they tried to get uh, you know Beckham. You know he threw the one reverse pass. They tried to hit him with a quick screen. They dropped the football. Did they just go back to the basics and say we got talent? Let's just keep this simple. Uh, and from from their standpoint, it, it would behoove them to 
Um, it, it, it seems weird to say it, but it's as if they don't know how to use Odell Beckham Jr. You know, I'm a believer. I like the, I like the trick plays and the gimmicks and the creativity. I think that there's a time and place for it. But when you're having to resort to that just to get Beckham involved or having to put him on the field to return a punt in the fourth quarter when you're down 20, uh, 25 points just to get a guy involved, that tells me that you don't know what you're doing as a coaching staff as far as how to actually use a player of Beckham's skill set. I mean, he can do it all. I, that guy could get kicked field goals if they needed him to. Um, but uh, I, I think that they just need to go back to basics, not so much the drawing board, but just you know simplify things. You don't have to constantly be looking to, for that 25 to 35 yard chunk play on every single down. And I think that that's where uh, Mayfield gets himself into trouble. Um, when you go back and, you know, especially on the all 22, you can see a lot of opportunities that Mayfield has missed where Beckham was open or Jarvis Landry was open, but he's too busy looking for something bigger to develop with those guys. And uh, he Mayfield's been paying the price for that. We're talking to Daryl Ryder from 92.3, the fan, getting a little uh, opponent preview here on the Cleveland Browns. Uh, speaking of those guys, you got Baker Mayfield, you've got Odell Beckham. How's the behavior been, Daryl? I mean, you know, especially receivers, Jarvis Landry, I don't know about him so much, but, you know, uh, receivers tend to be kind of a volatile group, and Baker Mayfield is pretty outspoken. How uh, how is their uh, I guess behavior, things that they say in the media? How has that gone over? Are they are they starting to boil over now, or are they handling it well? Well, so far they're handling it well. However, I did notice today. Uh, you, it's interesting you mentioned Jarvis because when he came from Miami, he was supposed to be a volatile uh, player, and he's been nothing but a a ball of positive energy. He's a big reason why last year the Browns were able to get things turned around, and he's really a, a driving force of trying to get the the culture in Cleveland to change from the negative stereotypes of the Cleveland Browns into a very positive winning culture. But he mentioned a couple of times today that caught my attention about play calling. He said, listen, I don't call the plays. I don't do the game plans or whatever, but, you know, hey, you got you got a couple guys 13 and number 80 that can make some plays to get us the ball. And I, I, I'm not giving you direct quotes there. I'm kind of uh, giving you a little summation of his comments. But th- that was the message he delivered today. But he did it in a very uh, diplomatic fashion. He didn't call out the coaching staff at all, even though I think that that's the message he was trying to send. Uh, Beckham has been the exact opposite of what I read about him uh, from New York. Uh, he's, he's very introspective to talk to. He's a fascinating, uh, person, uh, to be around. And I'm sure he's disappointed. He expressed that today that he's not having the impact that he expects and wants to have. But I don't sense that the locker room is about to explode, if you will, because of these struggles. Not yet, at least. Hey, Daryl, tell us about uh, a guy that really caught my eye, Joe Schobert. Uh, he's leading the team in tackles. He's got three more tackles than Bobby Wagner, a sack. He's got a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, a pass defense. 
uh, just playing his tail off. Kid who's a fourth rounder out of uh, out of Wisconsin. That that Ben play that they ran for an eighty-five yard touchdown. He was the one guy that read it, and you know he couldn't yeah. get there because there was a bunch of you know trash in his way. Everybody got washed down. But tell us about that kid. Yeah, yeah, real good guy too. Great, great to talk to. Extremely intelligent. In fact, his coaches uh, say that he's going to be he, he's going to be coach someday. He could coach the defense. He's he's that smart. Um, and you're right. He certainly is uh, given 150 percent out there. There's no question about it. He I wouldn't say he's an elite linebacker though. He's a very good linebacker, and as I mentioned, his intelligence. And if there's a play to be made. He's going to make it. Uh, I, I would say for him to get to that elite level, he's got to make those game-changing plays on a more consistent basis. Obviously, I'm talking tackles for loss, blowing up plays near the line of scrimmage, forcing fumbles, recovering fumbles, tipping footballs, maybe picking a few off as well. That'll take him to the elite status, but he is a very sound, solid football player for the Browns. And I, I would argue with the, the loss of uh, the other veteran next to him, Christian Kirksey, for, for the season, uh, he right now, I think, is uh, the heart of that, uh, that defense. You know, one of the most difficult things is going from an assistant coach to a head coach. Freddie Kitchens finished great last year, you know, in the role of offensive coordinator. Now, just your impressions on him, because right? it's tough when you start to get adversity. How is he handling that one as a leadership and, you know, just for them to hire? Because this is... I'm watching them. This is a talented football team. Other than the Tennessee-San Francisco game, they played good football. But just just your impressions of Freddie Kitchen. I like him. I think potentially if the Browns uh, can afford to be a little patient with him, I, I think he'll be okay. Uh, I, I admitted this week after watching that 49er game that it was the first time that I started to get nervous about him as a head coach because, you know, the, the talent. It just you, you can't get you can't. I don't care where you play. You can't go out and get blown out by 28 points and have the volume of talent that the Browns have. Just it's unacceptable. It's embarrassing. You can't have. I mean, that, that stuff that when the Browns went 0 and 16 and 1 and 31, we didn't see that kind of stuff. Okay, so you can't have that. I, and also too, uh, Pete Carroll's a very good coach, uh, as you well know, up there in Seattle. And Kitchens has gotten out coached. Week one, Mike Vrabel ran circles around him. Uh, Sean McVay came in and out coached him. It was because of some coaching blunder from Kitchens that the Browns didn't have an opportunity late to potentially tie that game against the Rams, and they ultimately ended up losing it. Uh, he did out coach John Harbaugh, though, in Baltimore. Um, but then he comes back and, and, and Kyle Shanahan, you know, eats his lunch as well. So. I'm a little concerned about just, you know, the the ability to coach against the big boys. And he's got two of the biggest coming uh, coming up here in Pete Carroll, and then, of course, Bill Belichick to follow. Yeah, next couple pretty tough. Hey, we really appreciate the opponent preview from Cleveland. Daryl Ryder from 92.3, the fan. Thanks so much, Daryl, for taking the time. You got it. Thank you. All right, coming up next, Paul Moyer and myself, we will – recap that game the crazy win over the rams they had a lot of things that went their way but you know the harder you work the luckier you get right paul is that how that goes i i I agree with that tonight yeah and russell wilson also you know he's showing that maybe he is an mvp candidate we'll talk about that next on hawks live 
Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. As Big Voice Guy just said, it's Hawks Live. We're here at live at the Snoqualmie Casino. And uh, Paul Moyer, Dave Wyman. Paul, we haven't got a chance to talk about that Thursday night game, which seemed like a month a ago. Game. I know, it does. Yeah, 30-29, to 29, Seahawks went in over the Rams, and that's kind of the big rivalry right now. But we saw on Monday night, maybe the 49ers are going to end up uh, being rekindle that old rivalry between uh, the Seahawks and, and the Niners. But what did you, what did you see from, from the Rams? I feel like they're closer to being a team that, like, the Seahawks – they can be had, in other oh, words. Yeah, that no 2017 question. performance where they lost 42-7 to at home, that was just really discouraging. You thought, wow, this team's a juggernaut. They, had a, they showed some vulnerabilities the other night. Yeah, they're not as physical as they were two years ago. Um, you know, offensive line, they're, they're definitely more of a, a passive. They, they've turned into a passing team. They, they don't run the football anymore. They're not like they did a couple of years ago and even last year. And, and we used to look at their scheme in the run game and go, wow, that's a problem. I mean, that is going to take all week just to prepare for it. Uh, but it was a big win. I mean, that was just a fun game. You know, a lot of people, you know, want to start breaking the whole game down. I don't even care. You know, you, you, you got to win divisional games. You had to win that game. It was a big win. It, it, some people say, we well, got the biggest win in the last two years. It was a big win because we won against a divisional opponent who's a Super Bowl contender. You know, last year we had some big wins. We beat Green Bay, we beat Minnesota, we beat Kansas City, who was hotter than hot at the time. Right. So we've had some big wins, but not big divisional wins, and particularly against the Rams. And, you know, you got a team who went to the Super Bowl who's won the NFC West the last two years. you got to win at home. And that was a huge win for the Seahawks. Well, and actually, in the last two games, or the two games last year against the Rams, they had a chance to win in the yep. end. They had the penalty that took them out of field goal range in the game at CenturyLink, and then down in uh, in L.A., they were, it was a five-point game. They had a chance to, to possibly score a touchdown there and win. But, uh, yeah, this and this one came down to, and this is kind of how I would portray this team. They're very scrappy. Like, there's a lot of, and Russell Wilson, by the way, Russell Wilson's, post-game interview awesome. on TV. It was awesome. And, yeah. you know, we talked about the emotion that was in the building. Everybody was talking about maybe Paul Allen just blew that football a little bit outside the goalpost, which I thought was cool. But, you know, they it, it came down to like a game of inches, you know. And instead of the New Orleans scenario was they had five games that beat – or five plays that beat them. There were two or three plays that were just a matter of inches. You know, Al Woods – grabbing uh, Jared Goff on the two-point conversion. Yeah, I mean, that was, was probably huge. within an inch or two. Tedrick Thompson getting his fingers under that ball, and then uh, Tyler Lockett's catch dragging his feet. I mean, uh, I just feel like there was a lot of adversity early on, but this team just hangs in there and continues to make plays and scraps and fights to the very end. Yeah, I mean, if you go back a few weeks ago, as bad as we played on the big plays against New Orleans... Now, look, we still got to win six points against New Orleans, and so we're a team that's it's it's always going to be there. We're playing some pieces at an unbelievably high level. I mean, Russell Wilson, it's it, watching him. It gives you goosebumps if you're a former coach or if you're a coach and you're watching him and you're teaching him. You've you've had that moment, Dave, where all of a sudden a player gets it, yeah. and you go, "God, that's so rewarding." Russell gets it. Russell gets now when to escape. He stays in the pocket. He knows when to drop dimes. He knows when to throw the football away. 
his decision making inside the pocket. Last year he was good. 2015 he was very good. He's playing by far the best of any quarterback in the league, and I put that in front of Mahomes. You saw last week Mahomes when he had a little bit of adversity, when he didn't have time to throw it. Russell's had time where there is no time to throw it. He has times where he creates it, and when he does have time, here's a crazy stat for you. When he throws the ball over 20 yards in the air, his quarterback rating, I'm going to draw, forget the exact number, it's like 147. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great deep ball throw. There's, there's hardly a player out there that has one that's over 100 yeah. when they throw it over 20 yards in the air. So he's doing the little things now where he's getting rid of the football quick, and I brought this up a, a few weeks ago also. We went to quick passing game last year, and even at times two years ago. The difference was Russell had one guy to throw to, and it wasn't there. He pulled it down. And when you do quick passing, a three-step drop, all of a sudden that defensive line's on top of you, and you get sacked. Now he goes back, and he's going, I have three guys to throw to. I know exactly who to get rid of the ball quick to of those three. So he's making big plays on passes that are going five, four, four yards in the air. At incredibly high level. Yeah, and it's it's something that they haven't had in the past. Also, the other thing early on, I mean, it, that was a jailbreak early on, both in the running game and uh, in the passing game with uh, the D line from the Rams. I mean, they well, were Aaron Donald my back goodness. in his lap, and you know, and now I mean, you see him start to settle down. His eyes used to come down. He'd get worried about the pass rush, and now he's able to find Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, dumping the ball off, and I, I think he's done a really good job. He's uh, he's the number one quarterback rating, and people have their misgivings about quarterback rating, but yeah, Russ is one twenty six. He's better than Patrick Mahomes right now. I, I you know it's going to depend on what their record is at the end of the year, but you know if uh, if Russell even makes the playoffs uh, or this team, then he should definitely be considered as an MVP candidate. Well, I think for the first time the national media, and I, I think we got John Clayton on later. You know. It's there. I mean, they're talking about it. I heard something today where they said there's three guys who are up for the MVP. Of course, they're all offensive guys, so yeah. it's really not an MVP. It's the most you know, valuable offensive player. But it's McCaffrey, it's Mahomes, and it's Russell. And right now, you'd have to go with Russell. They're 4-1. and one. He's out playing Mahomes. And I just look at the little things from him. It's the way he escapes now. He escapes with a purpose. He's not... A, just running around going, oh, i got to just get free and then I'll find somebody open. He, he, he actually sets up the pass rushers. And, you know, he escapes yeah. underneath and he creates the time he needs. Um, his release with his, the way he's releasing the ball, it's, it's like a dart. I mean, it's truly a dart form on how he's, in, you know, throwing the football. So we're going to be in every game because of him. We're not playing our best football yet. We're 4-1. and one. You should be pretty excited if you're a, a 12 right now. Well, and Paul, you're right. Actually, later on, we're going to talk to John Clayton. But next, a guy I would love to see a lot more of. We're going to talk to rookie defensive back Ugo Amadi. That's next right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. We're here at the Snoqualmie Casino. Paul Moyer, Dave Wyman. We're efforting Ugo Amadi. I believe, Paul, what do you think about Ugo? I, I love him. I, I do too. And, you know, one of the things, he won the Lombardi Trophy. Not the Lombardi Trophy. No. 
the Lombardi, we hope he wins in a Lombardi trophy because that would be awesome, but uh, the Lombardi Award, and if you look at, and it's about on and off the field and being a good student and a leader and things like that, and when you look at the the guys like Ndamukong Sue, some really good players, uh, Luke Keekley, that have won that award, and the thing that I've been so impressed uh, about him is his ability to cover punts. And, you know, yeah. you're making plays in the wide-open spaces like defensive backs would do. I think he can play safety. He could play nickel corner. Maybe he could even play corner. But um, I, I want to see this kid get on the field. No, he's, he's a playmaker and uh, excited to get him. Do we have him on yet? Or are we, are no, we, we do not. You know, he's the guy. We're him, Paul. Um, That's what we say in the radio well, business. He, he grew up. He's, he's a Nashville kid. You know, went to uh, yeah. Overton High School in Nashville, and that's that's SCC country. Yep. And he he had scholarship offers, I believe, from LSU, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and he ends up at Oregon. I know. Well, you know what? We've heard this story before, but I'll get him to tell it. But he texted somebody, and it was like an accidental number that he texted, and the guy's like, "No, I'm not this guy, but hey, I'm coaching at Oregon. I'll let him tell the story." But and he oh, he wait. went to Oregon. Sight unseen. Didn't take a trip there. Just, and, uh, you know, I don't know what <laughs> possessed him to, to go to Could Oregon. go to the great Northwest, and then he, he yeah. gets drafted by the Seahawks, so he stays in the Northwest. Right, and, and he's a Nashville kid, like you, you said. You know, he's just a tough kid. You know, he's got great quickness. He can play so many positions, and, you know, he was a fourth-round draft pick out of, out of, you know, for, from Seattle. And, you know, again, this comes back to that Russell Wilson deal. You know, if he's six foot tall... You know, he's a first, second yeah. round pick, and um, you know he's he's on the smaller side, I guess, for we, we want to say in football. But he he's so versatile because he can play special teams, he can play the nickel. I think he can play corner. I, I'm really curious where he feels most comfortable. You know, it, probably in that safety position at some point. Um, but we we got some good young talent in that secondary. Well, and you'll hear uh, one of the most impressive things about him is just how he communicates, and I, I think that's an indicator of what kind of a player you are. And, you know, a great communicator is going to communicate well on the field. And he's, he's a smart guy, and he gets it. So, And for people that uh, think about him, the plays that he's made, one of them in the preseason was in Minnesota when he covered that punt and just wiped out the, the punt return. He got there perfect timing, and it's, it's pretty impressive. So I, just, I always think that being on uh, special teams is a great proving ground. For defensive backs, you're out in the wide open spaces, and he's done that really well. So, uh, yeah, I just—he's one of those guys. Him, uh, Marquise Blair, uh, L.J. Collier. These are all rookies from this draft that I really want to see on the field. And it's funny—I I don't say Cody Barton or Ben Burkirvan because yeah. you know why those guys are sitting down because you got Michael Kendricks, you got Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright. But for these guys, you know, I. I think that by the end of the season, you're going to see a few different players playing safety. We've seen Tedrick Thompson out there. We haven't seen Blair. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of different combinations at the safety position. But heck, by the end of the year, you might see Lano Hill out there. Yeah, he's played some already this year when Tedrick was hurt. And sometimes you got to pay you just got to pay your dues, right? You've got guys you're behind, like Tedra Thompson, Lano Hill. They're playing good football. Um, you know, McDougal, you know, your rookie. It's hard to come in and start. You just want to get some playing time, get used to playing in the NFL, and get confidence that I am good enough to play here. You, you feel that coming out. But until you actually go out and do it, yeah. you know, it, it takes a while. And, you know, he's obviously done some good things. And, you know, he's, 
He, he's going to be a really good football player for us. Well, Paul, you're an old defensive back coach. Not old, but you're I'm a defensive old. back coach. <laughs> Play defensive back. What do you see that's different? Uh, we have not seen. We talked to Trey Flowers today on our show. Yeah. And uh, what have you seen different as far as the coverages that they're running? Because they've kept everything in front of them. Yeah. I know people have complained a little bit about, you know, and in just in general, cover three, which means you're dropping three guys deep. You're trying to keep everything in front of you. But some of the underneath zones can be exploited a little bit. You haven't seen much of cover one where it's man-to-man. Guys like Trey Flowers up in, on the receiver, jamming him off the line of scrimmage and, uh, and you know, getting a, a safety deep. Well, I'll tell you what. Well, let's hear from Ugo Amati about the kind of defense that they're playing. Right now on Hawks Live, we've got Ugo Amati. Ugo, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? We're doing great. We really appreciate you uh, you you coming on the show, uh, especially at this late hour. But uh, what are <laughs> your impressions? Yes, yeah, absolutely. What are your impressions uh, as far as being a rookie in the NFL? Uh, I'll ask you this: what, What's been the most surprising thing to you playing in the NFL? Uh, I feel like the most surprising thing to me is like playing against the guys you you like grew up like playing against i mean i grew up playing grew up watching like larry fitzgerald um uh stefan diggs all these type of guys just like and now finally get to see them in person like seeing how really big they are you know tv doesn't do them justice so that's that's what really surprises me the most now i have to actually uh play against these guys now well you know it's a i remember our my rookie year and it was about halfway through the season you're not even halfway through but you had four yeah. preseason games, f- five regular season games. That's almost a whole college, you know, season in itself. H- how you doing mentally? Because it's it's an eight to five or seven to six job now. H- how you doing mentally with this much time with in football and, and already so many games? Um, I just keep my head down. You know, I take it day by day. You know, uh, I'm just grateful for the position I, I'm in because I know there's a lot of guys who want to be in my shoes. So I'm just grateful, and that's why I just. I just take it all in, man, because who knows what I'd be doing outside of this. So I just, I'm just very grateful for this opportunity I have. So I just, oh, I take, uh, I take pride into it every day, every chance I get. We're talking to Seahawks rookie defensive back Ugo Amadi, and Ugo, I'm sorry to ask you to do this again, but tell us the story. You're a Nashville kid. I was telling Paul this. He's like, "No way, you're kidding me," but uh, he hasn't heard the story, and a lot of people haven't. How in the world did you end up at University of Oregon, coming from Nashville? Uh, well, coming from Nashville, uh, I was committed to the University of Mississippi my senior year, and um, I, I graduated high school early to enroll early at Ole Miss. And um, at the time, I, like after I graduated, you know, I showed them my diploma and everything, and then it was like, ah, we don't want to take you in early. We want to bring in a JUCO DB in early and have you come in the summertime. And I told the coaches I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to sit at home from January all the way to June, to June not not doing nothing. So uh, I decommitted from them, and uh, 24 hours later, uh, Les Miles and um, what's the defensive coordinator name? Uh, they call him Chief. Uh, he was defensive coordinator at A&M like two years ago. I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, he they both flew they flew to my high school, talked to me at talked to me at uh, my high school, and then came to my house that later on that day. Told me like, oh, you could be the next uh, Ty Matthew, all that stuff. We could put you at public Turner, we could do all these good stuff with you. And then I ended up committing to LSU uh, the day they had a bowl game in Nashville, in the Music City Bowl. They played uh, Notre Dame, and the day I committed to uh, LSU, um, 
the decent coordinator, uh, Chief, he ended up taking a job at A&M, ended up leaving, taking a job at A&M. And, like, I was like, I was like, oh, man, what's going on? Because he really recruited me the most. And uh, I was like, what's going on? I called the DB coaches. Like, they don't know if their job going to be there. Because back then, like, with these coordinator leads, I usually just wipe out the whole room and get their own, bring their own guys in. So uh, I'm going through that. And then I'm like, man, where am I going to go? Because I didn't want to go uh, to LSU not knowing, like, my coaching staff or anything like that. Like, who are they going to bring in? So my training, like, a few days were going by. I was like, man, what, what school am I going to go to? Because I'm at that point, like, I need to be in school or doing something. A few days go by. Um, my trainer texts. He knew Jim Harbaugh's sister. He tra- he texts him and says, hey, I got this four-star DBH through your program. Are you willing to take a chance or give him a, a visit or give him an offer? He said he gets a text back and said, oh, I'm not so-and-so, but I need DBs bad in this class. And that text message went to Oregon and not to Michigan. Oh, and, uh Yeah. And uh, the, the DB coach there recruited me. He sent me. I had to send my my uh, transcript over, and they, everything checked out all good. And I ended up si- signing to the University of Oregon at a sight unseen. That is, sight that, unseen. That, that, Did not what? take a trip there. Well, and I'm I'm thinking yeah. about this right now because my son's been going to Nashville about once a month from Seattle, so I know that's about a four and a half hour flight. There's no direct yeah. flights, obviously, from Nashville no direct to flight. Eugene. That's for sure. How was your family with that decision? Uh, they only came like they only came like one one game a, uh, one game a year because it's so long for them. Hey, uh, yeah, we'll go. They, they, it was it was a trip though. Yeah, I'll bet. Was Johnny Chavez? Is that the name that you were looking for there? Yeah, Coach Chavez. That's his name. Chavez. Chavez. Yeah, Coach okay. Chavez. Yeah, yeah. They called him Chief. He's a good D coordinator. Yeah. Well, and then you win the uh, the Lombardi Award. I almost said Lombardi Trophy, yeah. but that you, that's the next one for you, Ugo. You want to win the Lombardi Trophy? Yeah, that's sure. a that's a good one. But the Lombardi Award, pretty impressive, man. Well, tell us what that means to you. Uh, it means a lot to me because uh, it shows what type of person I I am on and off the field, right. and um, I feel like it's it's like next to the level of a Heisman Trophy. If you see the guys I was going against, these guys were. We're the top tier of college football too. So you know, being able to show that I was like a top player in the in the country says a lot. You know, speaking about all my hard work that's paid off from you know before coming to college and like everything I went through. You know, all the stuff I've overcome. You know, it just speaks a lot about me. All right, I'm just looking at the uh, the schedule coming up here pretty soon. I mean, I know we don't want to look ahead too much, but Oregon, Washington, yeah. uh-huh. the 19th, coming, coming up next week. All right. Well, look, I'm a I'm a Stanford guy. Paul Moyer here is an Arizona State guy, but uh, you're an Oregon guy, and obviously playing Washington there. Who's going to win that game? Uh, the Ducks. We're going to fly into town okay. yeah. and do what we do best. Is, is, is do people in Eugene really dislike Huskies as much as they say they do? You, you said what? Do Do people in Eugene Duck fans really dislike the Huskies as much as they pretend they do? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't really see too many Husky fans in our locker room, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't really yeah. think. I, I think it's more SC fans in our locker room, in our staff in general. Like, there's so many SC fans. Yeah, well, I'm sure you got something going on with Will Disley. Uh, no money will oh, be yeah. changing hands, yeah, but. Him, him and BBK. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. I forgot yes. about Ben Burkerby, yeah. too. I hey, Ugo. Every day and he needs me. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All yeah. right. Well, enjoy that. Uh, hopefully, you get your win there. 
I'll say the same thing to Will Disley when I talk to him. But uh, anyway, (laughs) Ugo, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, Doing a great job, and we really look forward to seeing more of you out on the field. All right. Thank you so much. There he goes, Ugo Amadi. What a great kid. And uh, He's a good football player, man. He really is. I love this kid coming out, and he can play so many positions. And I look at him, and, you know, with Blair, you got Amadi. These are guys who love the game of football. And uh, for those who are looking for that Legion of Boom thing again, yeah. we, we got a lot of pieces in place, and you just got to let them play it out and get some experience. It's going to be a really good secondary for a long time. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a trip around the NFL and talk to the professor, John Clayton. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live at Snoqualmie Casino on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back. You're listening to Hawks Live here at the Snoqualmie Casino. We've got John Clayton. We're here every Thursday night at 7 o'clock right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I don't talk to, to John enough, enough during the week. Yeah, so uh, we've got to go ahead and hit him up on Thursday night. John, how's the game going? Oh, it's awful. I mean, is this it closer is, than you thought, though? It is because, uh, you know, the Patriots' offense is playing so bad. I mean, they're getting a little bit better control in the second half, but it's just an awful football game. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We were looking at uh, it. It's amazing to me what New England does. And I know a lot of fans here in Seattle don't want to talk about that, but, you know, you look at uh, almost every year they're in the top five defensively, mm-hmm. and it's usually a bunch of guys. You don't really know their names. They're not like world famous, like the McCordy twins or a guy like Jamie Collins, but. Bill Belichick's pretty amazing. As much as you know, everybody doesn't like him. That don't like the Patriots. You got to say what they've uh, been able to do over the years has been pretty incredible. No, it's incredible because you get the best coach maybe in NFL history, the best quarterback in NFL history, and even though you can see the quarterback's not throwing as well, he's starting to decline. There's no decline in Bill Belichick. They just continue to win. And even though it's a closer game than should be expected, I mean, what they've got three interceptions right now on. Uh, the rookie quarterback from the New York Giants, and they just have the advantage. And honestly, the one thing I think I noticed about the Patriot team this year, again, they get the easiest schedule I've ever seen, eight yeah. games against teams that last year didn't win a game in uh, la- at the first. I mean, they had a losing record, and they're going against them. But overall, I mean, you can just see that I mean, he's just able to dominate, even though the offense right now is still struggling. You know, John, I, I hate bringing this one up because I it's the ultimate team game, but everybody loves the MVP story. Yeah. And Russell's never got a sniff of it. They, you know, it's kind of an afterthought. But is the national perception finally he's in the running for this thing? This year now, yeah, no question, because I think you see more people. I know he talked to Nate Burleson on the NFL Network, and I know that uh, today, and he's a little bit biased because he's a Seattle guy because he played here in Seattle. But uh, I think you see more people recognize that at the, it's at the current state, the one-two list is Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. Because you look at Russell Wilson, 4-1 and one record, 73.1% completion percentage, 9.0 as far as his attempts downfield, as far as completions, and all the things that he's able to do, you know, the fact he's able to generate over 25 points a game. I think he's getting the recognition right now, even though he's not going to throw to the same numbers as Matt Ryan and Patrick Mahomes and all that stuff, but he is finally getting that recognition. This game coming up here, the Rams and the Niners, is going to be really interesting. Um, who, who do you think wins that game, John? 
Uh, I, I think it's still going to be the Rams just because they're at home. You know, you look at the injury list right now, the 49ers, they're down two tackles, a cornerback. I mean, you know, three of the five key positions, they're down right now. And then they go in, you know, they don't have really their best running back, Jared McKinney. has been out for pretty much two years with a knee injury. I just think the advantage goes to the Rams, even though they have their own problems. They're weak at linebacker because, you know, Bryce Hagel, Hager, the, uh, guy who didn't play last week he's out they're down a starter from the preseason clay matthews is out with a broken jaw and right now you have no idea if todd Gurley's is even going to play you know if he's going to play he's not going to be as effective so i think it's you know one that it's going to be a little bit closer than expected but i think the rams are going to win john cleveland perplexing team you know the way they finished last year the what they did in the offseason the talent they have on this team what do you hear? What, is is it injuries or what do you hear? What's the biggest difference from this year to last year and why they're so inconsistent? Well, one thing is their offensive line. It's not good. I mean, you got Greg Robinson at left tackle. He finished great last year, but he's still not that good. They didn't fill the one guard slot. The right tackle is not playing well, and the offensive line is not playing well. And so what ends up happening is they're making more mistakes. And what I'm wondering, is this more a coaching issue or is this more a personnel issue? On the coaching issue, they let Bob Wiley go, who's one of the most colorful offensive line coaches in the league. They let him go. Is the guy that replaced him any good? And is the head coach any good? I have no idea if Freddie Kitchens is going to be able to equal what they had last year, even with Hugh Jackson, who only won one game in two years. I mean, is he the head coach? Is he the right head coach? So I look at that as being a problem. I mean, and here's where the problem looks down on Baker Mayfield. They've got 10, uh, whole, let's say, 10 false starts. Six holding penalties, four other penalties on the offensive line. They have too many plays where it's second and 15, second and 16. And then Freddie Kitchens, when they're second and long, he calls a running play 41% of the down. It's like, what is that? Yeah, well, how hot is his seat? We just saw Jay Gruden get fired in in Mm -hmm. Washington. And, you know, like everybody says, there's a ton of talent in Cleveland. Uh, How long is the leash for uh, Freddie Kitchens? So you're talking about an owner, Jim Haslam, who's made about more one-and-dones than any owner in the National Football League. I think it has to be legitimate right now. And it's not gonna, He's going to be fired during the season, but if this season works out, and think about this. If they lose to Seattle, they got a bye week. They come back and play New England. They're 2-5, and five, and if they keep losing, I think it's going to be one-and-done for Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, it's definitely a division that's that's winnable with Pittsburgh and Cincinnati struggling. What what, what injuries for the Seahawks? Are we healthy? Or what are we looking at going into this game? Just offensive line. I mean, because you look at the guard position right now, you figure that uh, you're not going to have DJ Fluker because of the hamstring injury. You got Ethan Posick with the back, and so now is it going to be Posick? Is he going to be healthy enough, or are you going to go with Jamarco Jones? And then after that, then you have to make a decision because if you're going to have Fluker out for some period of time, do you need to get another? guard or do you stay with Jamarco Jones who really did a great job last week really against Aaron Donald or and you also get Phil Haynes back who is going to be back from PUP what do you do as far as the offensive line but I think right now it's a matter of get through this game see who you have and I think right now it could be Jamarco Jones you know we're going to talk in the next segment Paul and I about uh, about Baker Mayfield and mm-hmm. I'm starting to have my my questions about him I mean 
Look, you know, yeah. I've heard from a few people in Cleveland, like, hey, when the guy, one of the things that I see from him, he doesn't set his feet when he can, mm -hmm. and I think he thinks he's a backyard football player, but I feel like he is a guy that needs to go back to the basics and get like a Schottenheimer type of coach to coach him and get him right, but uh, I do think that right now, I mean, I know it's a little bit early, and he was pretty good last year, but uh, whether or not he's going to be a quarterback in this league is kind of up for grabs. Well, he's going to be a good quarterback in this league, but I don't know how great he's going to be. The one thing I think you can see, and I talked to Mary Kay Cabot for uh, Schooled with her professor. Uh, she She's covered the uh, Cleveland Browns for more than two decades, and so when I talked to her, she brought out a great point. It's like, and picture this. Okay, so when you put Russell Wilson, when he goes to his right, what does he do? He connects up with TJ Tyler Lockett, right, with great plays. When you put Baker Mayfield and you push him to the right, he's inaccurate. He's not good in setting up to his right. And I know that Mary Kay told me that she talked to a couple of coaches around the league, and those coaches told him, it's like, hey, I can tell you this right now. Teams are going to set it up to put him to his right where he's not going to be as effective rolling out to his right and throwing completions. And so where Russell Wilson does well, Baker Mayfield doesn't do well. And if the Seahawks do the same thing, they can cause some problems right now for that uh, Cleveland Browns offense. All right, Professor. Well, uh, I will see you in Cleveland. That'll be great, right at the hotel. All right, thanks for joining us. Thank there you. he goes, John, John Clayton, <laughs> the professor. Coming up next, we'll continue this conversation with Baker Mayfield, Paul. I think it's uh, it's kind of an interesting one, whether or not. I mean, I'm not like the way he's he's carried himself. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more, but and I'm always rooting for players to have success. But yeah, he does sure. he does talk quite a bit, and whether or not his leadership style fits in, and as far as his long term success in the NFL. It's Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer on Hawks Live. We'll talk about that next.